Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 59, Revelation 6, verses 12 through 14. The number six. Given that according to the code, the number six is the number of man, we should expect to see things that have a huge spiritual and physical impact on the kingdom of mankind. Revelation 6, 12 through 14. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree now cast its unripe figs when shaking by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when being rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. When the sixth seal was opened, our perspective has moved from heaven to earth with a bizarre string of six images. Number one, the earthquake. Number two, the sun became black as sackcloth. Number three, the whole moon became like blood. Number four, the stars of the sky fell to the earth. Number five, the sky was split apart like a scroll when being rolled up. And at number six, every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Political, social, religious upheaval. Speaking in code, this is a judgment against all the structures upon which man relies for safety and security, as this speaks of political, social, and religious upheaval on the earth. There will not be a single political, social, or religious system, or any system of belief for that matter, to which men cling that will not suffer tumultuous damage and upheaval. Some will fall, some will crumble but none of them will be able to provide relief or protection. Safety and security will be like a mirage. In the book of Haggai, there are two prophecies about this time. And when God repeats himself, we know we need to pay attention. This shaking is coming very soon, if not already upon us. Haggai 2, 6 through 7. For thus says Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea also, and the dry. I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Haggai 2, 21 through 22. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone, by the sword of another. The shaking speaks of a violent upheaval that leads to a dismantling of the things that are in both the world and in the unseen realm. And not just the angelic in the earth, but also the sea and the dry. The sea is code, as we have learned, for the restless masses of humanity across the earth, And the dry is code for those who should otherwise provide waters of refreshment or who should have oil in their lamps 
those who say they believe in Yahweh, but are dry in their faith, dead. The Spirit explains it as follows, Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. See to it that you do not choose to refuse him who is now speaking. For if those did not escape when they had chosen to be refusing him who is now warning them on earth, much less will we escape who choose to now be turning away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, now saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, now denotes the removing of those things which are now shaking, as of those things having been created, so that those things which cannot now be shaking may remain. Therefore, since we are now receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may now offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is now a consuming fire. The details of this shaking of the earth and the heaven are described in the earthquake, the sun that turns black, the moon that turns red, the stars that fall, the sky that is split open, and by every mountain and island that are moved. The earthquake. When a great earthquake occurs, it fundamentally changes the landscape. It overturns and changes the surface of the earth, subverting mountains, hills, and rocks, sinking some parts, elevating others, altering the course of rivers, making ponds and lakes on dry lands, and drying up those that already existed. Therefore, the earthquake is a symbol of great and sudden change. It speaks of the sudden turning over of governments, political systems, and religious systems. Even today, this is a common way to address such upheaval. For example, on February 14th, 2011, an article in France 24, a French press, said this, The Israeli military is ready for all eventualities as the Arab and Muslim world undergoes an earthquake. Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said just days after Egypt's regime collapsed, an earthquake is shaking the whole Arab world and a large part of the Muslim world, and we don't know yet how these things will turn out. This is the same language used in the book of Hebrews, in the quote we just read where the Spirit gave a layered message. On the one hand, he was prophesying the toppling of the government of Israel, Jerusalem, the temple, and the entire Jewish religious system at the hands of the Romans in 70 AD. And on the other hand, he was prophesying the toppling of governments and religious systems in the end times. The fulfillment of the first layer of prophecy was a picture of a more final and complete fulfillment in the last days. Again, the political upheaval will be sudden and dramatic. The standard line in terms of geopolitical infrastructure will be unearthed, turned over, and restructured. One might say that this is exactly what we see taking place in our day and age. The standard line in our global geopolitical infrastructure is undergoing massive transformation and fractionalization, such that even words that once had a common meaning are being redefined to fit a political agenda. Sun, moon, and stars. The imagery of the sun and the moon and the stars is code and derives from a prophetic dream which Joseph, one of Jacob's sons, had when he was a boy. In this dream, the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before him. His father Jacob, who was also named Israel, rebuked him and said, what do you mean? Will your mother, brothers, and I actually come and bow before you? The sun. 
In Joseph's dream, Jacob is pictured as the son. As we know, Jacob was the father of the 12 sons, which formed the 12 tribes of Israel. He is pictured as the head, the son, the overall covering for his family, and the administrator of family affairs. Therefore, this image of the son would capture the entirety of Judaism as a political, social, and a religious institution. Black as sackcloth. Sackcloth was made of goat's hair. It was black and was traditionally worn by mourners. The picture we are given is that Judaism as a religion and as a state will be so shut down to God that the only way it can be described is by darkness, by the black of sackcloth. Its light will no longer shine. In effect, it will be a secular nation that does not cling to Yahweh. Looking to the code, we find that the sun chose to become black, as it is rendered in the Eris Middle Indicative. This speaks of a deliberate turning away from Yahweh, the light, toward the darkness where there is the absence of light. As a political, social, and religious system, Judaism will have turned from God. This is a judgment they have brought upon themselves, an exercise of their personal sovereignty. The moon. The moon refers to Rachel, Jacob's wife, and Joseph's mother, who was Aramean. The Arameans were ancestors to all other non-Jewish Semitic peoples, including the modern-day Arabs. By default, this would also pick up the Palestinian Arabs in the Middle East and a large part of the Muslim world. By the way, it is no coincidence that the symbol of Islam is the crescent moon. Like blood. The moon became like blood. The picture is of the Muslim-Arab world as their internal conflict and war will escalate and bloodshed will be rampant. The Middle East will explode. The Muslim-Arab world is deeply divided, such as they are not fighting against a common enemy, for example, Israel. They're fighting each other. And even when they are fighting against a common enemy, they are still divided and fighting each other as well. This fulfills the prophecy about the descendants of Ishmael, a son of Abraham and Isaac's half-brother, which says, This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. This prophecy will be ramped up to levels that we have yet to see, such that it can only be described by the image of the moon becoming red like blood. Looking to the code, we find that the moon chose to become red like blood. It is rendered in the heiress middle indicative. This speaks of a deliberate choice to be given over to violence, murder, killing, and the spilling of blood, as is consistent with the ideology of jihad. This does not just happen to the moon. This is their choice as they exercise their personal sovereignty. The stars. The stars in Joseph's dream represent the offspring of Jacob, Joseph's 11 brothers, and all the descendants of Israel. This image would include all their religious offspring, including Judaism and the religion of Christianity, Catholicism, Orthodox, Protestantism, Evangelicalism, and any other branch of Judaism and Christianity that has been spawned throughout time. Being code, stars is a way to speak about the angelic forces that are behind all the religions of the world and oversee its functioning. As we learn in Revelation 1 through 2, God uses the agency of the angelic to oversee and administrate his church. And this gives us our understanding that the angelic is also behind the religions of Jacob. This is supported in the Codex as we find that the stars 
or angels, are even found fighting on behalf of Israel against the nations. Moreover, early on in their travels, the nation of Israel was warned against worshiping the sun and the moon and the stars and falling into idolatry. This was a specific admonition against angelic or demonic worship. In the Codex, we also find that the stars are identified with divination and determining one's fate by the movement of the stars, astrology, and with the overall spiritual system of Egypt, emblematic of the world system, which God would darken. Hence, the stars speak of angels, both the fallen angels and those who continue to honor God, specifically those angels that have been assigned to oversee the religious systems of our world. Fell to earth. The stars of the sky fell to the earth. In this image, we see the forced invasion of the demonic, the bad angels, into the realm of earth. They are literally tossed out of their positions in the heavenly places, translated as the sky, as a fig tree now cast its unripe figs when shaking by a great wind. And these angelic forces are relegated to the natural realms of humanity. The Codex gives us a picture of this when Jesus entered the Temple Mount, grabbed a whip, and suddenly cleared the temple, turning over every table and chair of the merchants on the Temple Mount and chased them out of God's temple. Jesus literally cleaned house, and he will do so once again, chasing out all the spirits of darkness out of the heavenly places and throwing them to the earth. We are told that our struggle as believers is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. As of now, these demonic forces dwell in the heavenly places and work their evil at a cosmic level. But there will be a day when this shaking occurs that they will lose their place and they will be tossed out of the heavenly realms and thrown to the earth. This will be a terrifying day. And it will be felt and experienced as these angelic stars pour out their vial against humanity. Therefore, since these stars oversee the religions of the world, we should expect to see a dismantling or a collapse of their hold on the hearts of mankind as people turn their faith away from God as their provision and to the institutions of man, government, and other types of earthly structures to be their provision and their hiding place. This great shaking will make room for the false religion of the beast. Imagine, the world will be in chaos, and the beast will hold himself out as the Messiah, and his false prophet will have the power to perform miraculous signs and wonders that will be so convincing that the world over will turn to him for salvation, regardless of religious background or conviction, including those who belong to the religion of Christianity. This will be that hour of testing that will come upon the whole earth as Jesus said to the church at Philadelphia, an hour that will test those who are now making their permanent abode on this earth. The sky. The sky, or literally heavens, was split apart like a scroll when being rolled up. Twice God makes mention of the sky, so we can be sure that he's not just talking about our earthly atmosphere. First, we are told that the stars, the angels, are cast down from their place in the sky code for the heavenly realms. And second, we see that heavenly realms split apart. There is an unseen realm, a place from which the demonic spirits have been able to exercise power over the earth and humanity at large. From here, the rulers, powers, dominions, forces of wickedness, 
have exercised their authority across the earth. But in the shaking, this sphere or unseen realm will be split or torn apart, and they will no longer have a place in the heavenly realms to occupy. This is captured for us in Revelation 12, when a big war ensues between the angels and this heavenly realm. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is now being called the devil and Satan, who is now deceiving the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. At first, you might be thinking, finally, the devil is getting his comeuppance. But do not celebrate just yet, for we are also told, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath knowing that he has only a short time. The fact that we are told that the sky is split apart like a scroll when being rolled up is not just a colorful metaphor. Michael and his angels are not cast out of the heavenly realm. So when this heavenly realm is split, there's a section in which they continue to occupy, but the other part is torn asunder, causing the demonic to be cast to the earth. Mountains and islands. Mountains and islands are code which refers to the places to which men go for their strength and stability. This would include all systems of thought, belief, social kingdoms, including families, and again, political kingdoms, and even the false gods in which they have sought refuge. Moved out of their places. When the shaking occurs, it does not matter if a system of thought, belief, or social kingdom is strong and powerful, mountains, or small and relatively weak, islands. All will be moved out of its place by this great earthquake. Everywhere man turns, he will find instability and inadequacy. It will be bad. The need for an earthquake makes sense. For the kingdom of the beast to get a stronghold in our earth, so much else must break and either be torn down or assimilated, including governments, political ideologies, and religious systems. As such, this is an attack upon man's every imagined shelter of protection. In this judgment, Yahweh is going for the jugular, so to speak. Mankind's greatest striving is always for security, protection, and care, all of which is provided by God, as all things are from Him. For example, He is the one who provides the rain which causes our food to grow. It's all Him. But as people choose to turn away from God and turn to the institutions of man for their security, protection, and care, they will find that these mountains and islands are not permanent structures. They are not infinitely stable, but they are dismantled, loosened, and torn apart by the great shaking. And keep in mind, earthquakes are hard to predict, and they hit hard and fast. That is what this shaking will be like. It will be sudden, and it will be unexpected. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Jesus even likened it to the days of Noah, where people will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until it hits them like the flood hit the people of Noah's day, suddenly and without mercy. The foolishness of self-reliance. Revelation 6, 15 through 17. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they now say to the mountains and to the rocks, 
fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who is now choosing to be sitting on the throne and from the indignation of the lamb for the great day of their anger has come and who is now able to stand. The great shaking is going to have a very real emotional as well as a physical impact on humanity. And it is going to drive fear deep into the soul of every person. On that day, no one will be an atheist. No one will blame climate change or even the devil for the world's upheaval. But all will know that the time of Yahweh's anger has come. Even the kings of the earth, the spiritual rulers who rule behind the earthly counterparts, will fear and tremble as they attempt to hide from the indignation of the Lamb. Although the structures of this earth in which people rely upon will have been shaken and moved out of place, people will still scramble around in panic to find any little hole, cave, or chunk of the mountain they once looked to for protection and try to create shelter for themselves, whether it's politics, science, education, business, religion, bank accounts, family, friends, or any other rock, mountain, or island, people will reach out for any of the remaining pieces to fall on them and hide them. John is describing what he had seen. And for the most part, this is all rendered in the generic past tense. But when it gets to what they say and describing him that is sitting on the throne and who is now able to stand, the tense is changed to the present. So it should not be rendered that they said, as in most translations, but they say. And with able being rendered in the passive voice, the question is, who in and of themselves has the strength to stand in this day of Yahweh's indignation. The Spirit is making the point that this cry to be covered, to be protected, to find shelter and permanence in the things of this world, even when the impermanence of it all is blatantly evident, is something for which people are even now always searching. People's number one need is security, and they will do whatever it takes to find it. Sadly, they refuse to turn to the Lamb for shelter and protection. And very soon, it will be too late. And who is even now able to stand? The implication is that no one will be able to stand. Everyone will fall. Every single one of them will fall under the judgment and indignation of Yahweh. There is a passage in Isaiah, which has a dual or layered meaning. And it speaks of the destruction of Babylon, which, as we'll find out, is code. Well, at the same time, it addresses the terrible day of Yahweh. Isaiah 13. 4 through 16. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, is mustering a host or an army for battle. They come from a distant land, from the end of the heavens, Yahweh and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail, for the day of Yahweh is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them, and they will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of Yahweh comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark as it's rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble 
and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, in the day of his fierce anger. And like a hunted gazelle, or like sheep with none to gather them, each will turn to his own people, and each will flee to his own land. Whoever is found will be thrust through, and whoever is caught will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed in pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Reading this, it's no wonder everyone in the world will be hiding from the anger of the lamb, trying to find one rock to hide under for protection. And who can stand? No one, for no one can resist his mighty arm. When he moves, when he rises up, as in the days of old when he slew Egypt, the dragon of the Nile, No one will be able to stand. His name is Yahweh, Adonai, El Shaddai, Yahweh, the sovereign God Almighty. Anger, indignation, wrath. Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who is now choosing to be sitting on the throne and from the indignation of the lamb for the great day of their anger has come and who is now able to stand. In most translations, the words indignation and anger are simply translated as wrath. The problem with that translation is that it tends to confuse people, thinking that the great wrath of God has come. And since the chosen of God are not appointed to wrath, they conclude that clearly this must be a time that occurs after the rapture of the church. In fact, it is a misunderstanding of this Greek word translated as wrath that has led to much of the fiction surrounding the idea of a pre-tribulation rapture. We covered this issue earlier in Revelation 3 in the letter to the church at Sardis, but it is worth repeating. Across the Revelation narrative, the wrath of God is to be understood as a defined term, meaning that it has a very specific definition that is not to be misused. The Greek word wrath is the word thumos, meaning fierce passion and intense indignation. Specifically, this refers to the time when Yahweh pours out the seven bowls of wrath or thumos upon the earth. This bowl judgment is the last in a series of judgments, seals, trumpets, and then the bowls. And it occurs in the second three and a half year period after the rapture of the church. This is the great wrath of God. We have learned that God's literal outpouring of his wrath cannot begin until the number of servants who are now being killed even as those who are now under the altar, would be completed or filled. And since those who are appointed to death are saints, holy ones, bondservants in Christ, the bride of Christ, participants in the first resurrection, those over whom the second death has no power, they are not appointed to thumos or to wrath. Therefore, we know that the Lord's time of wrath, his time of great unbridled vengeance, cannot take place until these chosen ones are either killed or raptured. With that said, the word that is often translated as wrath in our text is not thumos, but ogre, which technically means a reaching out with desire. But this desire is understood to be anger or punishment or indignation. But it is not thumos, and thus is not referring to the great wrath of God, which, as I said, is a defined term and should not be confused with his anger or his punishment. This is therefore speaking about the anger of the Lamb and the anger of the Godhead. And as for those upon whom it falls, they will have no escape. They will find no refuge. They will have no hiding place because they have a fixed date with the destiny 
and the anger of God. When the shaking takes place, there will be no more delay, no more time remaining. The end times will ensue. And all this anger will ultimately culminate in the second half of the tribulation with the great wrath of God. And who will be able to stand? The Godhead. There is absolutely no mistake as to who is responsible for this great shaking. Everyone wants to hide from the presence or literally the front or the face of the one who is choosing to now be sitting on the throne. Everyone knows this shaking comes from the hand of God. And in the first reference to anger or ogre, our attention is drawn to the anger of the lamb. But in the second reference, we are specifically told that the great day of their anger or ogre has come. There, yes, there. This is a reference to the fullness of the Godhead, which is fully manifest in the one who is now choosing to be sitting on the throne. Previously, this was captured in the cry, holy, 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 but now it is summed up in their anger, the great day of anger of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The number six revisited. Given that according to the code, the number six is the number of man, with the opening of the sixth seal, we see the infrastructures of man, all that mankind looks to for security and protection, shaken, moved out of its place, and no longer able to provide security. For all men and women come to know that the time of the land's judgment has arrived. The bad angels or the demonic beings are ripped out of the sky and tossed down to the realm of humanity, and their impact on people will no longer be from above, but it will be in the here and now, tangible and terrifying. It will be clear to all mankind that all this tumult and shaking is a result of the anger of the Godhead, and all humanity will try to hide. They will call on what they once knew to be or believed to be stable to secure them, but it will all be to no avail. The anger of the Lamb will remove all those impertinent and illusory sources of protection. As he promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God, even now, is a consuming fire. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.